what's really fascinating to me is that there's a whole sequencing adjacent industry that's like completely dependent on Illumina, the monopoly, right? Like every time when Illumina drops their price, all these sequencing adjacent companies just start flourishing because people start doing sequencing more because it's cheaper. Yeah, the market forces there is actually really interesting. This is Startup Island Taiwan. Everything about Taiwan and cutting edge technology, startup unicorns and connections to the world. Uh, welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John. I run the Asianometry YouTube channel. And I have here today with me Damian Gao from Basepaw COO and Nick Wu, angel investor of Pasadena Angels. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jonathan. I am Damian Kao. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Basepaw, which is a pet health company. Our product is very similar to 23andMe, but with a more health-focused uh, bent. Right now, we focus mainly on uh, felines, on cats, but we will be coming out with a product for canine in the future. And Nick? Hi, everyone. This is Nick Gu. I am from uh, Pasadena Angels, a very... Uh, by season uh, angel uh, history <laughs> uh, club in the uh, Pasadena, Southern California area. So my personal background is I start uh, angel investing and also uh, like VC uh, route about six years ago. And I'm personally also uh, like a CTO type of consultant to uh, many company boards, and I'm currently working for uh, Rivian Automotive. What does Basepaws do? So you mentioned pet health, and check out the website, you'll learn, you'll see a lot of cats, which is always great. But uh, tell me a little bit more about like, what does this company, like, what is their goal? What is their setup? Yeah, so I think uh, as with many different startups, the goal of the company pivots and changes all the time. In the beginning, uh, Basepaws was really meant to be a 23andMe type company, a direct-to-consumer genetics company targeted for cats. And the reason why we started with cats uh, was because the dog space already had two big competitors. We thought that, okay, why try to compete with them? Why not? Let's go in this unserved market, this niche. So we are the first to market uh, genetic testing for cats at the time. And we did uh, well enough to keep going and eventually uh, get acquired by a big pharma company. So what we offer at Baseboss is a genetic test similar to 23andMe, where we give our users a uh, genomic similarity to purebred cats. So kind of like ancestry, but I wouldn't call it ancestry because ancestry is not a really good term for genomic similarity, in my opinion. I think ancestry is a bit of a misnomer in that space. And then the second part of that test is we look at certain health markers, so certain genetic mutations that your cat might have that's associated with known diseases. For me, that's a more important part because we can tell you, for example, if your cat might develop a kidney disease. And if you do, maybe you have to change your diet. Maybe you have to take your cat to the vet more often to get certain tests done. And then there's also a third component that we actually introduced about a year and a half ago. Uh, we started looking at the cat's oral microbiome, meaning we're looking at all the different um, microbes, bacteria or fungus or whatever that might exist in your cat's mouth. And by looking at the different compositions of these microbes in the cat's mouth, we're able to provide you a risk for dental disease or periodontal disease or tooth resorption or a host of different uh, dental diseases. We're kind of excited about that product because we plan to expand that to systemic diseases too. So when you think about the oral microbiome, you think about dental diseases, obviously, but we're starting to see some signals that associate the oral microbiome to kidney disease heart disease. And this is not very new as there are papers in the human space that have seen this linkage between the oral microbiome and systemic diseases. 
So we're just hoping to expand upon that knowledge with our data. You mentioned at first, you know, pivots and kind of changes of direction. Was the company always going to set out to be like a 23andMe for cats? Has that changed a little bit or has that kind of modified? Like, how has that changed? You know, I think uh, if you look at 23andMe, their original mission was to empower their users with medical information then they can make decisions about their own health history better instead of relying on medical professionals, which are kind of the gatekeepers to people's health. I think that was 23andMe's original intent. I feel like maybe it has morphed more into the entertainment aspect of things. Um, not totally, not totally. But, you know, ancestry is something that people will find fun and useful. You know, the interesting traits and behavioral traits that they show in their report, I think is fun for people. The connecting with your long lost cousins, you know, for example, that type of thing. Those are all good, great features. And that's a hook to get people to buy the product. And just like them, that's what we had to do in the beginning, right? So the breed analysis that we do, your cat is like 20% this breed or 1% that breed or whatever. That was our initial hook. But I think the intention, at least my intention house has always been to go into the more health direction, which we have been doing in the past few years. And which is also the reason why a big animal pharma company decided to acquire us. Right, right. Let me pivot a little bit to you, Nick. Like, what did you see in Basepaws when they came across your radar? Like, what did you first see in this company that kind of really caught your eye? So I think uh, when I first met uh, Damien and uh, Anna, uh, the CEO of uh, Basepaw, I think what really uh, caught my attention initially, of course, uh, was the team, uh, especially for early startup, right? It's really, really rare to see like a really good combination of a technical background. And also uh, the founder with uh, extreme deep experience in the tech space, like Anna herself, her prior experience as a Groupon, like CEO uh, in Russia, and also co-founder of Groupon in the uh, UK. And also she has a, a prior uh, experience, I mean, startup experience, like also founding a DNA company, and not to mention Damien, right? So <laughs> his credential is obvious, like PhD, uh, genetics uh, from uh, Oxford. So when I saw uh, the team and the founding team members in this company is like just amazing. And I quickly follow up with them, uh, individual meeting with Anna, individual meeting with Damien, like offline to do a little bit of DD about uh, what's their experience and what they are looking to do like in the next few years. And yeah, I think the team really, again, like really uh, <laughs> extraordinary, I would say that. Like, how did you bet that? Like, uh pun intended, how do you bet the company and do your due diligence throughout that sort of kind of investment process? So I think uh, when we met uh, Baseball, it's actually at the like Pasadena Angel Syndicate. So uh, Baseball team members, uh, Damien and uh, Anna, came to pitch uh, in front of uh, investors, like probably 100 investors. So at the time, uh, we quickly share, uh, I mean, of course, at, in the panel, right? We have 100 <laughs> investors there. So we quickly have a lot of uh, feedback from different uh, investors, including some uh, mandatory uh, like doctors or also researchers, and of course, some tech entrepreneurs in the room. So we talk about uh, their credentials, right? Like uh, what I mentioned, the technical background and also uh, Anna's uh, startup experience and also executive uh, experience in the tech space. So uh, funding team member is great. And the market at the time, uh, 2017 to 2018, uh, one of the biggest uh, acquisition at the time was Chewy in US. So it's an online uh, pet uh, retail store. So the pet space is like growing like year to year is like 10 to 20 percent. The number of pets in the US and also uh, pets per household and also expands the spends on the uh, pets. All these metrics are growing like year to year. 
So I think the market is really uh, growing very fast. And also we have some uh, good examples, like uh, Damien mentioned, the dog DNA companies. So we actually do some uh, vet there to get <laughs> information from those competitors to look into their metrics. And we did find some uh, potential there, the growing market for cats. You know, that's actually kind of an interesting thing that you mentioned, Damien. You said that there were two competitors in the dog space. Why hadn't there been a competitor in the cat space as of yet? And like, what was kind of what did you feel that was uh, an opportunity for you? I think there's a couple different um, reasons for why people haven't started a company in cat space. First is historical dog ownership and dog breeding and the whole industry around dog is just a lot older. We have kennel clubs all over the world. Uh, dog breeding for specific behaviors and traits has been going on for a long, long time. There's actually a lot of money in it. Uh, whereas cats, cats hasn't really undergone any systematic breeding. You know, I think undergone systematic breeding within maybe the last hundred years or so. They're not really bred for behavior or traits. They kind of domesticate themselves in some sense. Uh, so the resources around cats is just a lot less compared to dogs. So when you try to start a company, especially in genetics around cats, there's not much to start with. So at Baseballs, what we had to do was we had to spend some initial capital just going out there, collecting samples and sequencing those samples ourselves. Just as a comparison, when we first started, there were, I think, 88 publicly available data sets for cats uh, versus something around two, 3,000 for dogs. So, you know, it's just orders of magnitude less resources. Uh, so we had to go out there and sequence a lot of our own cats to actually come up with our own panel. So I think the resource and historical reasons, I think those are two main reasons why people don't go into cats. Yeah, and also I can add on to that. So actually, uh, in the market size, I think dog and cats are not uh, so different. I mean, by pets number and also household that own cats. I mean, the market size is not that different. So actually, at the time, it was a surprise to us <laughs> to find out that there was no uh, like cat DNA company and baseball was the only one that's doing so. So Damien, what has been some of the challenges of managing kind of like this health-oriented company remotely? One of the interesting things that I first learned about you guys was that your team is globally distributed. And uh, that must have been like introduced a lot of new challenges, right? Yeah. So, you know, one thing that I'm especially proud of in baseball is that we, compared to many other direct consumer genetics companies, we do almost everything in-house. We don't really outsource much. So, you know, we our marketing obviously does things in-house. Uh, we have our own lab that processes the samples and we have our own data analysis pipeline that we built to uh, deliver the results to the customers. In fact, the only thing that we don't do is we don't actually perform the sequencing on the sequencing machines ourselves because those are like million dollar plus machines that we just couldn't afford. And it's such a commodity these days that we can just send the sample off to one of the many facilities and they'll pop it in the machine and press go for us, right? So, but everything else we do in-house. Uh, I think most other companies, they send their samples off to a third party outsourced solution and that's it. So because we do so many things in-house, the pandemic has influenced us to some extent. We had to schedule our technicians' time around the pandemic, right? So no more than one person working at a time and and all, and all of these uh, lab, new lab procedures we had to kind of invent. And in terms of no face-to-face -face meetings, I think we were already kind of used to that since, as you said, we're a very remote-oriented team. Uh, we do have employees all over the U.S., some in Argentina, uh, some in Europe, I think. In terms of remote working, the pandemic hasn't really influenced us. In terms of lab management, yes, it has influenced us. Okay. And then actually, 
maybe the, something be helpful is that, you know, I'm not particularly familiar with kind of like the value chain, kind of like how this ecosystem works. And like, so where does a company like Basepaws sits within kind of like the pet DNA testing and analysis industry? Like you mentioned this vertically integrated structure, right? So like what is kind of the major players within that? And what does kind of, you know, quick overview of kind of who does what in that sort of space like? Yeah, uh, so there are definitely companies that will do part of what we do, and they'll specialize in it, right? So, for example, there's a company called IX Layer. Uh, they specialize in the technical solution for user accounts and delivering reports. So they specialize in just that. Uh, there's other companies out there that will specialize in building out a laboratory information system for you. So how you track samples, your inventory, and all of that. And then there are companies out there who specializes in doing the lab work, extracting the DNA, preparing them for sequencing. And then there's another, you know, company that would specialize in doing the data analysis for you, the bioinformatics. So we do all that ourselves. I think we do a pretty good job. And uh, I think that's what also kind of made us special. What's the regulation space kind of like in the pet space as opposed to human health? So in terms of regulation, there's really none, I would say, in the U.S., not much at least. When you talk about regulations, kind of two things, right? Privacy, data privacy, regulations, and just what you can say to your users about their pets. Um, in terms of privacy, yeah, no, no regulations. I think sometimes there is a gray area of, is it possible to use a pet's information to identify the user, the owner? Um, most of the time, no. But we take very good care in separating those two things anyways in our database. And in terms of what we can tell the user, uh, you know, again, we don't overstep our bounds. I think the medical professional, the veterinarian, ultimately is the gatekeeper of that information, and they should be. So how is that going to change when you mentioned that baseballs is kind of moving more into health and you mentioned a lot of some really interesting things with kidney disease and like how does that sort of meet the regulatory space there as well? I would say the the kind of the market dynamics of that is really interesting because you have to appeal to many different segments in the market, right? So uh, obviously we started off as a direct consumer product, so we, we have to appeal to the consumer market. Uh, we actually recently just launched a uh, canine product in the vet space. So now we have to appeal to the veterinarians. So the interplay between how a veterinarian interacts with a customer, with essentially their patients, is something that we have to be aware of, right? Uh, so how we position our product for the consumer versus a veterinarian uh, matters a lot. The veterinarian maybe would want to have features that a consumer would never see because they need to feel like there's something special for them to be able to sell the product to their patients. Right. So you have to walk that tightrope, right, between offering something to the vet that's very medically relevant uh, and makes them feel like they have something over the consumers, but then not so much that the consumer will just say, I'm not going to buy it. I'll just buy it from the vet. So I think how we position a product is very important there. And this is something that we're constantly improving on and trying to learn. Nick, what do you think about this new direction moving towards kind of this medical sort of industry? From DTC to uh, a different direction, I think. I mean, everyone knows that uh, DTC is a very uh, challenging space, right? You need to uh, develop, uh, establish your brand. And also, you really need to talk to your customers very efficiently and understand what's your need. And I think the pivot here also kind of showed that the team is ready to adapt to any new opportunity and switch the gear. I think for this uh, certain case uh, for baseball, it's actually a great move. I know Anna has been doing uh, talking to those uh, big pet uh, medic company like for a long time, at least uh, two or three years already. So I think uh, the effort toward this direction eventually show it's uh, a success. 
uh, if we look backward, that's a success. But of course, we don't know, right? It's like 1% <laughs> luck and 99% effort or hard working. So I think, but eventually it worked. Can you give us kind of like uh, me and the audience here a little bit a lay of the land with the current state of the pet DNA testing industry? Like what are the kind of the major trends in markets and technology going on here? I think in terms of the genetics industry as a whole, actually not just uh, the pet. 23andMe, for example, they use a technology called microarrays to do their testing. This is a technology that's been around since the 80s. There's a lot of infrastructure, a lot of machinery built around that technology, which makes it very efficient to run and relatively cheap to run. However, the, the downsides to that technology is that you're not actually sequencing the DNA. You're just asking binary yes or no question on the DNA. You're asking, does this mutation exist? Yes or no. If there's a brand new mutation no one has ever seen, you can't even ask that question. You don't even know what question to ask. Uh, and this is a technology that most pet wisdom panel and Embark and 23andMe, this is what they use. Uh, there's a good reason for that. And like I said, it's very efficient. However, uh, we decided early on to go into actual sequencing the DNA, which is a tougher challenge because preparing the DNA for sequencing is actually a relatively complex and laborious procedure that we've optimized really well. And uh, the cost of sequencing at the time was pretty expensive, although since then it's been dropping year by year. Uh, and actually recently, the company that makes these sequencing machines just announced their new machine that's going to cut costs by almost 50%. So I think the trend in the pet genetics and the human genetics industry is going to be towards sequencing and giving up those microarrays. And I think that is probably the way to go also. You just get more data. You get to observe new mutations. Uh, you get to find new insights. What have been some of the kind of the technologies kind of facilitating this drop in uh, cost of sequencing? Uh, you know, it's uh, this might be a controversial thing, but I feel like there's a, a bit of a monopoly in the sequencing world. Uh, Illumina is really the company, the sequencing machine company that everyone uses. Uh, they're kind of like the ASML of the semiconductor industry in some sense. And since they're kind of the dominant force, they get to control the prices for the reagents. You know, obviously, I don't know their internal workings, but could they uh, drop the price even more if they wanted to? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, so is a technology challenge for them to drop price or is there some sort of financial reasons not to drop price? I'm sure it's a mix of both. Do you see any other new technologies on the horizon, maybe in the silicon space or otherwise that might help kind of be kind of like this disruptive presence in the industry? Yeah. So this year, uh, two other sequencing machine companies actually popped up, uh, Ultima Genomics and Element Biosciences. These two uh, companies are producing a machine that is largely similar to the Illumina machines. Uh, however, they improved up upon it in terms of chemistry and uh, microfluidics. Uh, actually, one of them doesn't even use microfluidics at all. It's actually a very innovative system. So Illumina announced their new machine, I think, uh, last week. You know, I was at their conference. That machine cuts uh, cost by, like I said, 50%. I feel like that kind of just killed those two other machines. Do you see like a situation where someday... You know, in one of my videos, I talked a little bit about like a lab on the chip kind of thing. Can you envision like a sequencing on one chip sort of future? Honestly, that's what's happening now already, right? If you look at a Lumen machine, they have a flow cell, which is a very small chip, which they do the sequencing on. Uh, it's already happening now. And I would say it's funny because um, I feel like it doesn't need to be on a small chip. Uh, this is not a computer where it needs to be as small as possible. If you look at um, China BGI, Beijing Genome Institute, they bought out a U.S.-based uh, sequencing 
machine company years ago. And they've been using that machine to make sequencing cheaper. And they literally have sequencing machines that's the size of a room because who cares about the footprint, really, right? You just try and sequence as much as you can. This doesn't have to be portable. Maybe that's the way to go. Like, why do you want to make it as small as possible, right? Uh, maybe to save on reagent costs, maybe that's the reason, but like, maybe that could be cheaper. Maybe producing those reagents can be cheaper. So I feel like the trend maybe isn't to miniaturize as much as possible. Maybe it's to just have crazy high throughput, at which point it's actually the data analytics, the data storage that becomes a problem, which I think it is. We're producing so much data now that we can't even store it. You know what the best way of storing DNA data is? It's DNA. <laughs> just leave it, leave it in your DNA, right? And resequence it every time. Why bother storing on disk, right? I mean, I, I think eventually it might get cheap enough where that's the case. You, you just sequence it every time you want to retrieve it again. Part of the reason why, like, you see some of these, like, it's not just about miniaturization with these other things. Like, for example, like silicon photonics, they had a situation where they had these discrete parts and there was like mechanical and physical labor assembling them. So a concept of kind of putting it all in one chip wasn't necessarily about miniaturization, but it was actually kind of scale. So now you can make, instead of one piece of silicon or photonic systems, you can create whole bunches of them on a single wafer. So that was always kind of like the vision. So yeah, that could actually contribute to maybe that critical item of throughput. That's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the sequencing technology, there are, I would say, the main technology is a consumable chemistry-based technology where you have to use up reagents, right? And you have to buy more reagents. Uh, I think the holy grail, maybe in some sense, is to have a piece of hardware where you don't really have to use up any reagents, right? So there's a very interesting company in the UK called Oxford Nanopore. They created these nanopores where you thread the DNA through, and as it threads through that pore, it'll sequence DNA. So that's a really cool technology there. It still uses up some reagent or chemistry there, but but I feel like that's probably the way to go. So you mentioned a little bit like all of this data is coming through from all the sequencing and stuff like that. Like, how do you see, are you starting to throw like machine learning algorithms on this or kind of this sort of new, all these new techniques and these new systems that have been coming out in the last few years? In what ways have you been applying those to that data? Yeah, uh, AI and machine learning definitely has their place in, uh, in analysis of this type of data. I think in the genomic space right now, the biggest challenge is probably processing the raw data into a condensed or sparse data set. So then you can actually apply the machine learning and AI too. I think that pre-processing part is probably more important than the actual application of it. Every run of resequencing machine, you can easily produce two to four terabytes of data. And how do you condense that down to maybe a few gigabytes of data that you will then run your AI ML on? I think that's a challenge. And uh, Illumina, you know, the monopoly sequencing, I should stop saying monopoly though, but they bought a company a couple of years ago called uh, Dragon, D-R-A-G-E-N, which is specialized hardware chip that will process genomic data. So it's like a, it's a FPGA basically that will process genomic data. And that's probably the future also. What do you see the potential, like, like your wildest dreams, what do you envision as like the potential of kind of all of this data, all the sequencing, like what can come out of this? So what's uh, I think what's special about uh, genetic data versus all the other types of data you can gather on a person's health is that genetic data is relatively static. You know, if you think about health data, it's always going to be a snapshot in time. What's your whatever blood serum level of this yesterday or today or tomorrow? And then you establish trends and it changes all the time. Whereas your DNA, it doesn't 
it doesn't really change unless you have cancer. It's your digital soul in some sense, right? So if we can have very deep insight into how that DNA can contribute to risks or predispositions later in your life, that's a lot more powerful than having to gather longitudinal data across a time point and then based on that trend, trying to say whether you have a risk for disease or not. Those are two very different ways of analyzing that data. So but I think that's really the power of DNA. But of course, you can also go too far. And uh, this is kind of the whole nature versus nurture debate, right? Your nature is your DNA, but how much does the environment factor into whether you'll develop these diseases or not? You know, you, you could also go too far and say, this is your nature and that's it. You definitely get this disease. And that's not true most of the time. Do you think there's anything that maybe can happen on a policy kind of way or anything that particular might need to change before we start seeing more of these biology and health-related startups kind of emerge more in Taiwan's ecosystem? I think the idea of health data privacy is maybe not as big of a concern in Asia versus uh, the West. Uh, I think people in Asia recognize that you know, aggregating and sharing this health data can lead to better lives for everyone. And privacy maybe I don't think that's on top of people's minds. So I think that's probably a low-hanging fruit for the government, right? Uh, maybe allow better access to this aggregated or anonymized data for researchers to start spotting trends and then incorporating those learnings into hospitals and clinics. I think that's probably a good way to go because you don't really have to build new infrastructure, like real hard infrastructure, right? It's all data analysis, really. I'm not saying that that's easier, but it's uh, more readily accessible and readily available for practical use. Uh, Nick, any other things you might want to add to that? Like, is there anything that maybe Taiwan can do to help encourage more you know, health-related startups in either pet or human industry come up? I'm not so familiar with the <laughs> regulations in Taiwan, but I heard that FDA is actually more like restrict than in the U.S. I'm not sure whether it has that like, correlated to <laughs> the ecosystem there, but I would say for a Taiwanese entrepreneur to start uh, in the medical device or uh, medicine a startup, uh, it's better to plan ahead, like the funding sources and everything, right? Damien mentioned, right? It's like, uh, in the beginning, they need to actually develop their own uh, sequencing for cats because there are not many databases out there. They need to uh, spend the capital to begin uh, their product development initially. So thank you for taking the time. And I really appreciate your insights and thoughts. I learned so much from this conversation. I'm excited uh, about the acquisition. Congratulations to both of you guys. And um, have a good evening. Hey,